There have been recent developments regarding Operation Kino. Welcome to Operation Kino number 100. Woo! Woo! Yeah. I'm so, I, I always try to get you guys to cheer at the beginning of the show, but this time Woo! you really will. Um, this, this is a momentous occasion. It so is. I, we made it to our 100th episode, and as you hopefully know if you've been listening this long, every 25 episodes we change up the format. Uh, we're still calling this a quarter quell, even though it's 100. We're going to have to change the name at some point. Full quell? Full quell. Full quell. Sorry, we have been calling it full quell. So this is the full quell, and for this quell, we are all interviewing each other's family members. Can we just we call have, it quell? Sure. It's quell. <laughs> Italicized. Um, we... <laughs> So you're about to hear four segments, and there will be four voices on the phone, but instead of the four regular ones, there will be three of the regular podcasters and then a family member of the missing one. We've had a conversation with David's brother-in-law. We've talked to Dave's mom. We've talked to Patch's dad and to my sister. So there's a lot of varying voices to of people to who are experts on us and in a different way than our fellow podcasters or experts on us. This is either the best possible first episode of Operation Kino for someone here or the <laughs> worst possible first episode of op- some Operation Kino for someone here. I'm not quite sure. Su- I would suggest starting on another one just because it probably doesn't mean anything to you if you don't know us. And there's a lot of uh, self-flattery, <laughs> indirect self-flattery floating around in, the, in this episode. So if, uh, if you don't like the show... This is probably not going to help your blood pressure. I'm filleting myself right now. <laughs> Just Unfortunately, prepare. we are all recording this in the same room. So, <laughs> Unfortunately, indeed. Oh, God. Um, that's probably a good time to lead into our first segment. Dave, what is our first segment? Oh, I don't know. Let's uh, kick it off and find out. Things normally. Katie gets tired early, so I can't blame her. We're kind of the same in that boat. <laughs> You have an accent. This is this is oh. a take. This See, is- I don't I don't hear that I have an accent a lot, so this is new. You have a thicker accent. Than have Katie. no accent. It have y'all ever heard Katie when she comes back from being at home though? No, not de- not with the immediacy necessary to hear her twang. Oh, okay, well she picks it up when she comes home, so you'll have to call her sometime when she's home and hear it. Okie dokie. Uh, we are here with Kellen Rich, Katie Rich's younger sister. Uh, and Hello. welcome to the show, Kellen. Thank you. Uh, we're not sure if you have listened to the show before. Uh, I know that the person that we had on from my family had never heard of any of the people uh, on here or, uh, or myself. Not so. a prerequisite. <laughs> sure. Okay, I, I've never listened to the show, but I see all the Twitter tweets about it, and I know about the Opkino stuff. I know nothing about it, but You've I know the reference. So. I've seen movies before. <laughs> okay. Good. This, this problem that suggests that you've spent your life wisely. Maybe not the ones y'all want me to to have seen, but I've seen some. Yeah. So. You've there seen movies. You've avoided us. You're, you're living your life. <laughs> um, so, uh, so just as an introduction, both to our listeners and for ourselves, for the most part, uh, where just tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you calling in from? What do you do? That sort of thing. Okay, I live in Columbia, South Carolina, and I am a fifth grade teacher. So, so not in uh, the arts at all, like not in the arts at all. <laughs> um, oh, go on, sorry. Oh no, that's fine. I mean, not no no writing on this side of the family. Katie got all of that. Um, you write so, in class. You're, you you well, teach kids to write. 
I teach writing. Or I teach five like paragraph half. essays. <laughs> Are, if you're ever critical of Katie's <laughs> writing, uh, does does she respond negatively to that? Does she uh... does she write at a fifth grade level? <laughs> exactly. I, she writes way too above a fifth grade level. I can't quite uh-huh. go there. Um, <laughs> no, Katie's been the one to edit my college essays and all that stuff. So I could never critique her writing. I'd have to go to the college level to do that. That's the duty Not of an there. <laughs> uh, she has to do her job. So yeah. is uh, is anybody else in the rich clan uh, inclined towards the arts? Or when Katie is Katie sort of the odd ball of the family? Well, Warren is our middle sibling, the brother, and he's very into music. So he's he's in the arts in a different way than Katie. But yes, he's very musical, piano, drums. He's kind of done all of that stuff, and he still plays in a band. So yes, he kind of has more. I guess I got the least of the arts of the family. No, you're the respectable one. That you're <laughs> investing in the future, and everybody else is just you know contributing you. something, smelling that's, around farts. That's what I tell Katie myself. does a lot of fart smelling. <laughs> Um, yeah, and you can see clearly we are on a, a fifth grade humor level. Yes, <laughs> that's I'm used to that. Helen, do you feel like uh, in, in in the microcosm of, of where you live or where you grew up um, that both in your family, even though it doesn't seem like everybody's that artistically inclined in your family and, and maybe in where you guys went to school, where you grew up, that art and, and film culture is something present there that you, I mean, people are going to the movies. I guess when I was growing up, it was a, just to fill time, but I don't know if there was something that you see, like, was your, was your family nurturing of that? My family definitely was. Yes. Um, Lucky. growing up, we always watched movies, went to the movies, um, all of that good stuff. As far as the surround, like the culture in the South, I mean, not as much the in the artsy way, but I mean, people, yeah, people go to the movies, people, they fill their time with the movies, but um, growing up, our family probably had more of an impact on Katie than the her surroundings. Are they playing Lincoln down there? You know, they <laughs> are. They are. Um, Good. We're so I, mystified by everything <laughs> south of 14th Street. Oh, it, it it's like? pretty sad, yeah. Um, I think it was playing in Columbia. If not, the closest place was probably Charlotte. I obviously didn't see it. Um Unfortunately, though, because I did want to, I heard great things about it. But I do think it played in Columbia, where I live. Now, in Aiken, our hometown, I don't know that it was there. But it's it's in the South, yes. <laughs> so when you when you were growing up with Katie, what sort of movies did you guys uh, share time with? Well, I have to say the number one that comes to my head is Home Alone. Mm-hmm. That was the ultimate watch it. Okay, well, me, I shouldn't say Katie. I shouldn't pull Katie into the terribleness of this but i watched home alone probably five times a day every day all the time that's a lot of times it was ridiculous and um but that was like our our big movie um then when i was in fifth grade and katie was in i guess eighth grade titanic came along and that took over our family big time (laughs) your whole Um, family not just our whole family now you know katie when she was uh, briefing us for this conversation said explicitly that we have to bring up both Home Alone and Titanic. Oh that was the entirety God. of our instruction. And you oh, no. And I've done that for you. Well, see, at least she knew me well. She knew what I would say. Do you remember the whole uh, family get involved with Titanic? I really want to know why this was a family you know, affair. How did that happen? We honestly joke about it to this day. I mean, this past Christmas, we were talking about it. Um, my brother, even, I mean, he was, I guess if I was in fifth grade, he was in sixth grade and Katie was in eighth. So, he, I mean, a sixth grade boy wouldn't naturally be attracted to Titanic, I wouldn't think, but he was. We, I saw it in theater 13 times, I will tell you that. Um, and I think he's 
about 11 times. So he really liked it too. I truly don't know. What was of he course, doing those two other times when, he, when you ditched him? He got out of it somehow. I don't know what happened there. I must have been with friends. <laughs> um, but I will say my dad was not so much on the Titanic. He probably saw it multiple times in theater, but not in the double digits like the rest of us. But I truly, I truly don't know. I have no idea what the pull to it was, but... We're, we're, what do you love we're, about Titanic? Yeah, to this what day? was or what? No, more like what was that like? Like the tenth time going with your family to go see a movie. Like, do you talk about it again afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we did. We saw something new every time. We all cried every time. Ridiculous. Um, for me, I think it was Leonardo DiCaprio because I was a fifth grade girl yeah, and a little boy crush. Um. You know, I really don't know, but I will tell you that I saw it when it came out in 3D, I guess was that two years ago, mm-hmm. and I was miserable by the ship saying I was ready to leave. So I guess it was today's, I'm not sure. I don't well, know Titanic historically didn't fare well over uh, long periods of time. <laughs> no. We, know, we all know what happens at the end, but yes, that was our big, Do you that's rem- our embarrassment. Do you remember what had you so interested in Home Alone, where you were trying to assault people sneaking into your room or... Well, I will. I don't know what had me interested, but I will tell you. You know the um, like the 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 van that they drive. Yeah, was truly terrified, terrified. Any I mean, any time I saw a van. So that's actually that probably very safe and healthy. That was a yeah, yeah. Help that movie. that's <laughs> that the most. Could only have gotten you out of trouble. <laughs> that's true, but no, it didn't want me to set up anything, set up any trap. But it had me terrified, which makes you wonder why I kept watching it. But I have no idea. Reassurance. Um, he he makes it in the end. That's what you want. That's, that's when you true. want to learn. That's Escapism. True. That everything will be fine. <laughs> now, did Home Alone two have any of the same appeal to you? Or <laughs> absolutely, it was right up there with Home Alone one. I don't think there was any. Wow. Any there, yeah. It Home Alone three never made it. In fact, I don't think no. I ever even saw it. Yeah. Do you think Home Alone two is the reason Katie moved to New York? Is that you know what it might be? <laughs> did you guys have a talk connection. boy? Were you lucky enough to have a talk boy? Lauren, our brother, totally had a talk boy. Yes, he did. Yes. And we all thought that was the best ever, obviously. Did, did you guys have, have a. Uh, we all. Did, did, we, did any of us have talk boys? Yes, I had a talk, I had a talk boy. boy. Yeah. Wow. I am the only person on this show that didn't have a talk boy. I'm going to get you a talk boy for your birthday. Oh, I would be the happiest little boy in the um, world. Kellen, did you have, I have a, a pigeon I have a, lady? Oh. What now? Sorry. I, did you have a pigeon lady? We did not have a pigeon lady. Everybody wants a pigeon lady, though. <laughs> That's what I want for Christmas. Sorry, <laughs> Patches. I'm sure uh, interrupted something vitally important. No, not really. But, Helen, I'm, I'm kind of curious how um, Katie became the one. Does your brother live in South Carolina, or where does your brother live? He lives in Vermont. He's oh, right. He's like a ski yes. bum. That's oh, yes. Maybe. Uh, but, you know, I'm I'm amazed that Katie – I don't know what the culture is down there. It does mystify me a little bit, and that sounds ignorant. But, you know, I, I'm wondering if it really uh, fosters the sort of thing that Katie went off and did and kind of how you saw her grow into someone who, who you know, goes to Wesleyan for college and, like, becomes an artistically driven person. And, like, what – Are you what, asking her if kind she of, thinks her sister, like, freaked out and went artsy? <laughs> Well, I'm just surprised because, like, I think no, that I, especially us Northeasterners have a perception of the South, and Katie gets really riled up by this. She hates when people, <laughs> um, you know, screw up the perception of the South, but that there might be a certain way that uh, people in the South are raised and and are driven, and somehow she ended up maybe different to that, or maybe that's not the case. No, you're exactly right. Katie definitely um, not escaped, but she 
she she's very, she's not different either either, but she was different than a lot of the other people in our high school as far as where she went. Most of the people from our high school are still in Aiken, or a lot of them are. Um, I think Katie's thing is she started writing so early. She, as far as I can ever remember, she had a journal. I mean, she probably has. Oh my God! Did you read it? Oh, I, I can't say I did. I probably tried a few times, but I don't know if I ever did read it. <laughs> but she really, she truly started writing so young. And so and then she was writing for the school newspaper, and then she wrote for the Aiken newspaper. And I think that got her interested in, in the arts as far as that goes. Um, and I think our parents, too. They're, they We traveled a lot. They introduced us to a lot of different cultures and things growing up. And I think that she realized that there's a lot more out there than the the South and the conservativeness of it <laughs> and she realized that she could go somewhere else and I think that um, once she was in Wesleyan she she knew she probably wouldn't move back right away I think she talked about New York probably all through college moving she burned all her bras yeah she, but she's still yeah. friends with people from school so yeah I think that our parents had a huge influence um, and her writing at a young age definitely helped start that hmm. we were also instructed to ask you about Oklahoma <laughs> I'm Wait, sure no, what that not means. Oklahoma. I think she probably meant Molly Brown. Oh, oh, oh please man. correct us and her. Yeah, you know, I made. A, she might. The thing is, I remember Molly Brown better. She might have more of a tie to Oklahoma. Um, Molly Brown. We had an old. I guess it was a. V, I'm sure and it was a VHS. I know, but I think it was recorded from TV at our grandmother's house. And I don't know how familiar you are, you are with it, but she at some point has a hat on her head and a stick, and she's marching around singing something. And it's a shame that I don't know what it was. But we would do that. We would do that and put a towel around us or a blanket around us and put a bucket on our head and with a broom and march around and dance to Molly Brown. That was huge, and that was from a really young age. I don't know. <laughs> that was from five to eighteen. What yep. that started? Oh, absolutely. Yes, it started really young. So I don't know what that was about. But Oklahoma, we definitely watched Oklahoma, but I don't have as much of a um, of a memory with that one, I hate to say. Did Katie, one, get, uh, go on. Okay. Uh, did Katie get along with like lots of people in high school? Yes. Well, she, had, she definitely had her tighter-knit group of friends. In high school, she had a really good group of friends, and then it was me and Warren who mm-hmm. had like a split group of friends. And I can safely say that my freshman year, my brother's sophomore year, and Katie's senior year – was horrible. It was awful. And it was terrible for my parents. It was terrible for everybody because Katie didn't, Katie had her friends over and they were hanging out and they were doing a lower key thing. And Warren was crazy. And he had people over doing every loud thing you can possibly imagine. And then I was somewhere in the middle trying to be, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And it was terrible. What Um, what is low key activity? Is Katie like, is that watching (laughs) movies or is that something more nefarious? Are they eco terrorists? I'm sure they were doing stuff that I have no idea about because they were they were sometimes um, – I mean they would go to other people's houses too. But it was more like a group of probably I'd say 10 or 12 people and those were her really good friends, guys and girls. And I'm sure – I mean I'm sure they were drinking. I'm sure they were doing those things. They just <gasps> wild partiers. No. So it's hard to – but as far as her getting along with people, yes, absolutely. She just had a closer group of friends and – we didn't. The three of us did not necessarily get along that one year we were all in high school. Hmm. It was well, that's, rough. That's what's always interesting to me as as a film person of my family, always looking to talk to people about stuff, and it's sometimes difficult. Do you feel like you've connected with Katie over her passion for movies in at, at any point in your life? Uh, 
I mean, I've tried to. I definitely give it a shot, and I I I, I read her reviews and I try to understand. But there's so much of of the movie world and the writing world that just is over my head. And I'll definitely like sh- she'll come home at Christmas and take us to these movies, and I'll watch them, and I'll like most of them. I won't like some of them. So I've definitely tried to connect. And if it weren't for Katie, I'm sure there's a ton of movies I would have never seen or known about. Um, but I think it's really, I mean, I, I love what she does, and I love hearing about it. I love hearing, obviously, I'm more of the, who'd you interview today, and, and knowing all that stuff. So have, that's nothing. Have, have you seen a movie that Katie's like, you have to see this movie, and then you watch it, and you're like, why did you make me watch this film? Oh, I'm sure. Let me think. <laughs> <laughs> um, she actually mentioned this earlier. I remember at Christmas a few years ago, she made us all go see Australia. Oh, and she was just and, talking about how much she loves and adores this film. I yeah, don't she loved it. And she had us all go see it. And I don't think I hated it, but I'm not so sure that I was crazy about it. And I'm really ashamed to say this, but we did go see Avatar and I fell asleep during Avatar. I was just I think I was probably exhausted, but I didn't love it. And that's sad because I know that Avatar, y'all probably hate me for saying that. Because that's no, a big one. We I don't hate people no. for anything. I, yeah, Avatar <laughs> is not a sacred, uh, sacred cow. You're, you're allowed to not like it. I'm allowed to say that? Okay. You are. Um, if I could think for a few minutes, I could definitely think of more, though. Well, this, no. this segues maybe into, I think, an inevitable question, um, which is Did you see Brave? And if so, did you care for it? I did not see Brave. All right. That, that could be a, uh, a a rich family thing. We we might find out in another hundred episodes if you get a chance. Okay. <laughs> but it's a hot topic on this podcast, and so oh uh, goodness, okay. Maybe we'll we'll get back to you down the line. I would love. To. Uh, okay, so I think that uh, is that's about, wonderful. Yeah, that was terrific. And okay, uh, I hope I, I was helpful. About, uh, sorry, no, I was just going to say that it's been ha- wonderful having you on. Thank you very much. It was wonderful talking to you guys. I've seen your names and heard about you all, so it was nice. Aww, it was, it was really nice you. talking and meeting you. And maybe we'll all get a chance to explore what this country has to offer uh, below <laughs> Manhattan and come. Uh, That's what we need to do an episode from the you South. Do. We need to go on like a road trip. Y'all need to come to the South. If you feel that mystified by the culture, you need to come witness it. Oh, my it. God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to the riches. We need to get in deep. Absolutely. All You're right. Well, thanks, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much. It's so nice that everyone's family listens to the show, except for mine, who had never heard of any of you people before. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's almost like I know each and every one of you a little bit. So, you know, when the terrible sides of our personality, can't be. That can't be a good thing. Some good, some less good. I not less good. No judgment. <laughs> I, I actually like that. Anyway, we're here. We're here with Rod Patches. We're uh, talking uh, about uh, his son, Matt Patches, and I—that's I, an interesting way of, of starting because I was wondering, um, Rod, you and I have been Facebook messaging occasionally because you happen across some awesome things that uh, you know that I like, uh, be it your friend Bob Patterson. Or uh, drew an awesome Godzilla, or the Bowery Boys doing a history of Spider-Man comic book covers in New York. It seems like you're really like open to things, and that's something that Patches seems like always. What sort of like pop culture were you intaking when Patches was growing up? Well, I hope uh, I hope I'm open to things. So you know, music's a big part of my life. Uh, you know, playing in the 
high school band and, and doing things like drum and bugle corps, uh, things that got me out of the house as a kid, but also listening to music, attending concerts, and I like all kinds of music. So I know, you know, Matthew will tell you that uh, you know, he's, he's been to the ballet, <laughs> and we introduced we introduced the kids to the Philadelphia Orchestra children's sessions on Saturday mornings a long time ago when the kids were little. So all kinds of music, and uh, whether it's some gospel in the church to uh, you know the blues, the Blues Brothers, and also all sorts of music influence, and having that open mind. So, you know, I may not like it or I may not agree with certain, but I'm, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to give it a shot. And, uh, yes, I like Nine Inch Nails dance remixes. Uh, they're, strange and, <laughs> they're strange and unusual, but uh, I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, the Blues Brothers, I think, has trickled down into our show because, if I remember correctly, Patches had all of us watch it. Uh, yeah. For one of our quarter quells a little while ago. Yeah, and I think you were brought up as a uh, inspiration for bringing it up. That that's kind of a, a bond that the two of you have. It's fun, and it's a it's a it's a good time, and it's it's maybe not everybody's humor, but uh, <laughs> you know it's it's fun. It's out there, the tunes, and you know, like the Ray Charles and Aretha Franklin, and some of the other types of things, and. Uh, I don't know if I've ever considered myself Jake or Elwood, but, uh, you know, getting into the tunes and exploring the music is something that I'm certainly, and I'm, I'm glad that that's rubbed off a little bit on Matthew. When, when did it start rubbing up, uh, rubbing off on Matt? Because we've, we've uh, thanks to you, got to hear him as Jean Valjean, so we know he was into some musical theater, but did he develop musically earlier than that? I think he... I think he always enjoyed uh, music to a great extent, uh, whether it was he was always in chorus. He was always doing things like that. But he, so that maybe opened the door when he was in high school. He had somebody who really inspired him, and that was a choral director who took over for somebody who was uh, retired or had some health issue. Uh, you know, a young guy, a guy in his 20s at the time, uh, played in a band, wrote a lot of his music, decided, you know, we are not going to do Sound of Music as our high school musical. We are not going to do some of the traditional things. And at the time, too, uh, Matt really moved from, you know, participating in sports to saying, you know, I'm in high school, I'm going to do the things that really attract me and and for us uh gee we hope our kids have an interest we hope our kids whatever it is you know something to develop at that time growing up and so he was in um every musical activity that you could think of in, in school then it was great uh i think his junior and senior year we we probably didn't even see him that much but we went up <laughs> when he went off to college it was like well we we really don't miss them because we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're exerting that part of uh, of the show to put it at the very beginning, just just so he knows where he stands. <laughs> it's so d- in terms of it sounds like he sort of vaguely followed in your footsteps, or at least in something that you guys could have a common interest in all the way through college. 
I think common interest, he definitely followed his own. You know, when uh, in growing up now, and I think this has come up in the podcast before, I grew up on a farm, and my life has always been, you know, work, and we need to do work, and I then went to uh, college and studied the sciences, and, this, you know, when you get out of college, you get a job. Well, I think some of those things Matthew took on his own where he was like, you know, yes, I want to get a job, but... It was okay for him to go in the arts. It was okay for him to follow uh, his interests in film. I don't know if that would have been okay for me uh, growing up. I don't know if that would have been okay with my parents. And, you know, as you see that evolution of things, and you could take this back into music, you know, one time people say, oh, that music, (laughs) you know, I don't want that music. Uh, That's no good because it's not this. Well, who am I to judge? You know, listen to it, and if you like it, that's good. And so, who am I to judge? Now, I do expect my kids to come out of college with some job prospects and something worthwhile. I'd be disappointed if they came out with uh, French literature and decided to study the naval for the next couple <laughs> of years after that. So, uh, but if somebody's motivated and says, you know, this is what I want to do, hey. I'm I'm willing to support that, and I hope that's kind of the evolution of of us as a society that we can be more open-minded and do more things, um, and help the next generation do that. So, oh, certainly very supportive of that. And I and think, thank goodness, I'm I'm proud to say, you know, when my when people ask, yes, my son lives in New York and is able to support himself. Yeah, that is that is not easy. I think all of our parents feel that way somewhere in some way. <laughs> I I think of like the thing that I'm seeing in common between you and Matt is sort of like your guys are willing to give an even-handed look at things and give like a fair shake to new things sort of based on this intellectual curiosity. Do you think that you fostered that in him or is that something that he developed just by not having any uh artistic walls put up in front of him? I I think we made it okay for him to do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. we set the stage, and I have that interest, which I think helped helped him, and his mother has a kind of interest, too. I think that helped him look at things, but that it was okay to do that. And, yeah, I think um, that's, that's so... And that's more than half the battle, is just that feeling as someone who was recently in Patch's situation coming out of college, that you felt sort of enabled to pursue the things that you love and didn't feel condemned to what, you know, you might otherwise be uh, forced into doing. And, and that but was what has opened so many doors. At the same time, too, you know, to give somebody a leash like that to also that they're not going to fritter that away. Right, which is exactly so, what I did. But uh, <laughs> just, you, you prey on patients that, you're, uh, that you, your they, parents themselves may not even know they have. Well, it, you know, every everybody's everybody's different. Everybody grows at the at different places and different times and those types of things. But I think for for us and for Matthew and trying to find that balance of of freedom and at the same time kind of guidance. Uh, you know, as you guys will find out one day, maybe it's not that easy, but it helps also when you have somebody who is motivated. Uh, to do that. 
So did it surprise you that when um, when he you know he'd gone into production working as you know as a P on these various productions and then started writing? Did that transition surprise you? Did you kind of expect him to be turning into a movie critic after all this musical theater and then filmmaking? Um, who knew, right? Who knew? And I think that directing is so, I don't want to say random, but, you know, to, to be able to direct and do that is, it's, it's a challenge, you know, to, to find the right project. And, and I know you guys talk about, you know, we're talking about things in the theater or even things at film festivals. And I think one of the things with film school I think about is being able to communicate, being able to tell a story. And eventually that might mean that I'm going to do that through advertising. I'm going to do that through writing. I'm going to do that through other types of things. So um, communication can turn into a lot of things. And I, I think you need to pursue those dreams and, and find out it someday how to, to do one thing or another. You know, on, on the writing about movies. So one of my hobbies is wine tasting. And I wanted to be a better wine taster and be able to articulate what I'm tasting and be able to uh, communicate that and express that to others. And I help people. I teach wine tasting and do some other things. And I think Matthew, Matthew actually has a pretty good palate. And he has a pretty good nose. And so for him to be able to break something down, communicate it, put it back together, I think there's some natural ability to that he has to do that. Interesting. Mm. Uh, Jason, it has, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to step in as somebody who I know has listened to probably all the podcasts. Is there anything that Matt said uh, that you've been like, I don't know where that boy got his critical taste from? You know, he keeps hanging on to the Smurfs, and I know that came up uh, just a couple of ago. Yeah, he was not pleased that I uh, bagged on it <laughs> a year later for making fun of the, for liking the Smurfs. Oh, David, I think you have it nailed on that one. I, All right, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't You're seen it. You know, I, I haven't seen it, but uh, how how could we? And I always get a chuckle when he rags on Soul Surfer as well. <laughs> yeah, we all that's we can all come together over that one uh, there you go i well michael i have a question which is that uh given his his the name by which he goes uh, in the online world for the most part uh, is, is anyone stepping on any toes when they call him mr patches no you know i don't think i've ever been mr patches uh-huh. uh my dad may have been mr patches <laughs> but i'm not <laughs> and uh, i think from I think for Matthew to take on the the Mister, because Patches, and I'm sure you, if you haven't said it to him, you've thought about it. Oh, I know a guy who had a dog named Patches. I had a kid <laughs> named Patches. Oh, did you ever hear that song, Patches? Uh, yeah, we use so, that song you know, in the podcast too. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think it helps elevate the Patches a little bit. Uh, by the mister. Hmm. It's short and sweet. It fits. It does have a nice ring to it. Yeah, it's all right. Well, Rod, as a way of wrapping up, is there anything that you you would like to us to do better in the future in getting your son to, to curb that Smurfs, uh, open-mindedness? Well, I, I don't know what I can do about the Smurfs. 
I uh, think you should all be congratulated for uh, hanging in there. I know it's not always easy. Uh, I think as a group, uh, certainly you guys have evolved and uh, developed and found a way to, you know, work as a team. And uh, that makes for a very enjoyable podcast. Oh, well, that's uh, nice. It's very uh, gratifying to hear. This is why we wanted yeah, to the show, just to compliment us. Yeah, no. <laughs> 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 no, it, people say you know, it's, it's different opinions. It's everybody there is opinionated. Everybody has a point of view. And to try to cram all that in within an hour could be difficult. And I think early on, you know, it was uh, hard for it to come. But these days, I kind of look forward to it. I feel I know more about uh, kind of what's happening out there, although every sauce I go, wait, they're advertising this movie? Hasn't it been out like six months ago? (laughs) So uh, there's there's a little bit of that to it. But I think it's fun, and it's part of my weekly entertainment and again, I feel like I uh, know all of you in some way from from this experience. So, congratulations to everyone, and uh, much success. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much, Rod, and thank you so much for being in contact with me. It's been great to hear from you continually. You know, Dave, I need that diversity of opinion. <laughs> when I go, who thinks like that? Ah, there's somebody. There's somebody who thinks about it. So it's not all just made up smoke and mirrors. (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, No problem. All right, uh, thanks so much for your time. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. Bye. (laughs) And also, for the record, you did not see Brave, right? No, he asked me that this week. I was like, oh, dang. He's so out of shape about that movie. Mom, talk about bears. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you see it, you might have to give us an update and see. Uh, we, your Dave's mom, Dave's mom's opinion on Brave would be. Oh, it would be amazing it. if, uh, <laughs> if, if Liz loves Brave, then we're going to have to have a Liz Gonzalez versus Dave Gonzalez showdown. <laughs> I would absolutely do that. We are now down to three Operation Kino members, uh, me, Katie, Patches, and David. And we are here with Liz Gonzalez, who is the mother of Dave Gonzalez, who we will be talking about in this segment of our quarter quell. Liz, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. Uh, We want to quiz you about Dave and how he (laughs) came to be this human who we talk to every week. Uh, But I figure we may as well start by talking about you and kind of your own pop culture background and the stuff that you're interested in and maybe the stuff that you were interested in specifically when you were raising Dave and his siblings that you might have uh, influenced them with. Well, when I grew up, there weren't a whole lot of movies and we didn't watch a whole lot of movies, but I think... uh, what happened was I was in charge of four kids, Dave, his brother, and then two neighbor kids. And they're all boys. And uh, I'm kind of a nerd myself, not real good athletically. And three of the four of them felt the same. So we did a lot of inside stuff. And um, we started kind of with the movies. And I feel that action is fun, um, mindless, and safe. So we did a lot of action. <laughs> <laughs> no, now um, by safe, what, what, what do we mean yes. by safe? Like, are we, are we, sounds, like, sounds dangerous <laughs> as a parent. That's <laughs> true. Um, you know, crying. I didn't want to cry. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, didn't want horror. Horror scared the heck out of me. And I thought they were kind of young for that anyways, you know. Um, so we would get movies, and we had a Blockbuster Gold membership card, and <laughs> we had to keep them G, you know, at the time. And um, we would 
get movies a lot. Um, I remember Teenage, Mut- uh, Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles were really, really big. That was major culture yeah. then. Yeah, early 90s, that was, a big de- that was a big deal. Yeah, and Halloween costumes and action figures. So we would watch these many, many times. And what made them also special is I did not allow food in the uh, study where the TV was. So we would go to the grocery store and buy all kinds of things to make ice cream sundaes with. Then we'd go home and spread towels all over the floor, and we get to sit on the floor. It was a ceremony. Oh, it was just, yes. Was Very ritualized, yeah. <laughs> Very fun. Now, Liz, um, I, I just wanted to jump in here and ask you, because you mentioned that you didn't grow up watching a lot of movies. No. Where, where did you grow up that there weren't movies? <laughs> I grew up uh, in Hopkins, Minnesota. Uh, I remember getting the first colored TV. I mean, it was uh, Wizard of Oz, you know, we got to see. Um and it just wasn't, in my age, I don't think we watched a lot of movies yeah. at home. We would go mm-hmm. to the movies occasionally, but um, not a lot were made that were fun and exciting for kids, you know. Mm. Not enough um, action. Yeah. <laughs> I still will go to action flicks and be the only person in the theater. Um, so pop culture was sort of something that was around you guys, but it was never really a dominant force in your life growing up. No. So I can't but then explain that. But then that changed with when you had kids. Yeah, and was trying to entertain them at some point. But then what happened was I got caught up into the whole thing. And then these kids, they're smart. They're all really smart. And they would watch the movies. And we had a video camera, thank goodness. I'm not sure why we got that in the first place, but we had it. And the kids wanted to know, well, how did they get that shot? And copy the dialogue. And um, we had a uh, Ghostbuster firehouse. And with all the action figures, and they try to take pictures from internally, outside, uh, motion capture kind of stuff. So Dave has been animating since he was a young lad, it seems. He's a- <laughs> well, he was always an artist, you know, drawing stuff all over. He, we let him paint on the walls in the basement. Um, it was pretty amazing. When we moved, we had to use kills, a couple coat of kills to get <laughs> white walls. <laughs> so, um, has he painted the, uh, walls of your, the basement walls of your new house? No, no, he hasn't lived here for that. So, so I, I learned my lesson. I learned my lesson. One uh, break or something. It was pretty weird. Um, what else? Let's see. Oh yeah, we would get the American Film Institute Top 100, put it on the fridge, and try to mark them off as we went. Wow. Um, but the this kids like were. Full, this is like a full family activity. Like yeah, all of well, you were working on this. Yeah, it was uh, really exciting. And you know, Dave is very um, able to speak on the spot. He was usually the narrator. Um, I just watched some of his old movies this morning, getting ready, and he would take us into the bathroom. You know, and he'd go to the bathroom while I was talking, and it was. <laughs> I think you need to send us those tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those we really need to put those out in the public. <laughs> He's got them online, so. But, Which, uh, yeah, it's like, then again, like when has Dave been shy about True. posting any exactly. of this stuff from his life? So That's I'm sure true. he'd put him up himself. Would these be like like movies with a plot and like like characters? Oh, sure. would, oh okay. So what, oh, what, absolutely. Was, was mm-hmm. there a particular standout from these home movies? Oh, I remember they had uh, some skits about Nurse Nancy, and she would see things and they would disappear and they'd reappear. People thought she was kind of nuts. Um, <laughs> and then I, well, I do remember one time. Dave was filming, and I'm not sure exactly what it was, but he was interviewing friends that came over. And there was one girl who sat there and looked at him and said, um, David, can we go outside and play, please? <laughs> and then, then immediately it would cut to a different girl, and she was very involved, moving figure, figures around. And uh, So you had to kind of be 
in his space for him to hang around, you know? Hmm. Hmm. I remember one, too, he said uh, at the very beginning, he was like eight, maybe younger, and he had the camera at the t- pointing at the mirror, and he said, well, do you want to see a screen split? And it started to jerk back and forth really fast. I'm not sure what a screen split is, but I'm assuming, <laughs> isn't it from one side to the other? I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. assume it's like a split down the middle of the screen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a, like the formal industry technical term. <laughs> Probably not. That he uh, coined as a child. But. Dave has always been innovating. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, the kids used to do uh, 3D puzzles. Do you remember those 3D puzzles? They were huge. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, they had the Titanic, and of course it had to go in the bathtub, and there was ice everywhere, and it was sinking, and a couple pieces burned in glory in the garage. So... Uh, <laughs> They had a really good time. It was uh, fun all the way around, I think. So, but it sounds like overall you were really instrumental in sort of awakening his interest in the arts and like making it a viable thing for him to think about. It's not as if he uh, it wasn't present in the home at all, and he had to go outside and sort of right. just came out of nowhere. Yeah, the kids they were kind of my life, and we had a really good time. And I miss them horribly now because <laughs> it was exciting. It was different. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say some of his stuff um, for my generation is a little shocking, but I know I'm not his target audience, you know. So, <laughs> well, what, do you, yeah. what do you mean by that? <laughs> no, you don't want me to. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> oh, 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 he can edit this, right? Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, just like in the bathroom, you know, watching and listening to him go to the bathroom, that kind of thing. And, nice. Uh, you know, pushing boundaries too much. He does, but I think that makes him... What he is, I think, which is kind of cool. So, so of all the kids, was Dave always the most kind of movie minded, or were they all? It was, it was three kids, right? Uh, four. There were four, four. kids. Oh, oh, yeah. One uh, of so, them. Yeah. Well, I was just wondering if Dave was, you know, the one who you would have expected to go into movies or into filmmaking as a career the most out of the group. That's a good question. At first, there's one that was older, and he was in charge of narrating and telling people where to go, what to do. But Dave would prefer to be behind the camera, I think. And um, what was I going to say? His brother, you know, went into film and television also. Um, one of the kids went into photography. Um, the other one is total jock so, and, and brilliant. Um, so I don't know. They, they had a good time together. It wasn't an isolation kind of thing. Well, Liz, I have a question for you because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we get to hear Dave's opinions on movies a lot. And he has a very specific um, – well, he, he brings something to the table that um, we, we need in our lives. And that's a Hollywood drive. And it kind of reminds me of you talking about loving action movies. And I'm curious yeah. about what – uh, if there are memories that you have from early on catching action movies, maybe it's with Dave, maybe it's without, or just the, the action movies that stand out to you, what you love about those movies? Uh, I think they present, you know, a world that can't really be, but, you know, if you dream or something, or in the back of your head, if you could create something, um, especially with CGI coming out, it just it just blows me away that people can dream these things and put them on, you know, put them on the screen. So... I don't know. It's imagination, I guess. The kids had so much of it. And I think since they started watching, like, say, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where I don't think there was any CGI at that time, um, and then going to, like, Jurassic Park, which was almost too mature for them, but I saw the movie first. Well, you know, at that age, I was a little... And then I, we read the storybook version uh, in the grocery stores that showed actual 
pictures from the mm. movie. Do you remember those books? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I knew when the jump scenes would be, and then we all went together and kind of prepared for it. And um, <laughs> <laughs> that was, you know, that was amazing CGI for us. So that was really cool. And then, of course, a whole slew of movies homemade after that, where we, we'd have a Godzilla in the scene. And um, Now, when I say we, I was not part of it. I just... Gave the pizza and the Kool Aid, and you would never, <laughs> you would never stall. But, you know, I saw movie. myself, I saw myself in some of the early ones, and I cannot, I cannot act. <laughs> so they stopped using me, I think. But, uh, yeah, Dave um, has talked about Godzilla a lot. That seems like it must have been in in the mix of all those movies, at least it, it, either in the inspiration or stuff that you guys were watching at home, because that's clearly a big influence on him. Yeah, and I think these were the early early ones that were uh, guy in the suit and stop mm-hmm. motion. Right. So um, a lot of the movies that they started with was trying to experiment with making something bigger and something smaller, even though they were the same size, you know. Um, and the, yeah, drawing backgrounds that would make something smaller. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool what they did. Um, and they, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask you that, um, you know, you mentioned not really watching a lot of movies when you were younger and I, I look at Dave and he has the same um, imagination and enthusiasm for a movie like Jurassic Park or whatever that equivalent is today that, that you do um, but I'm curious if in your in um, your earlier days whether it's when you were at home in Minnesota not watching movies or in your 20s 30s if, if you were watching or if you were filling that void with something equally imaginative okay early Minnesota maybe <laughs> But I moved to California, L.A., when I was 10. Oh, boy. So, you know, <laughs> then uh, the whole Star Trek series, um, yeah, it was always pretend movies. I was always worried about seeing something that could really happen, like horror and stabbing. And, you know, that would scare me. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to go to a Never Never Land kind of. Are you a big so Trek I'm, fan? Oh, have, well, yes. <laughs> and my husband, you know, it's kind of a co thing we've done for 32 years we, still, <laughs> we watch a rerun every night before we go into the real series it's, it's funny my mom was also I mean, you were talking about jurassic park and and i was laughing because i think for a lot of us that was the movie that we our parents sort of brought us to and we may not have been quite ready for uh, i remember vividly my dad taking me there but my mom is a hardcore trekkie and she has no other cultural interests and she always disappears on the days that the star trek movies come mine out. as well oddly uh, enough my mom huh. is really into trek I, what is it liz what is it about trek that you love so much because dave has that same obsession <laughs> he's obsessed with trek and like newly so in yeah. some ways well you know they've continued it on and on and on but uh in the old days i just remember the it was always in the background. <laughs> and my husband, when I met him, was very into it. So, but is Dave yeah. is Dave uh, actively aware of your love for Trek? And do you guys talk oh, yeah. about it? Oh yeah, he comes home and he'll watch mm-hmm. the reruns with us. And- so maybe for him, part of what the maybe newfound uh, infatuation with Trek is that it's helping to sort of bridge the the gap, the generational gap. You know, using this big cultural touchstone. I mean, I have no, I have never seen any Trek really, but. I always thought that it would be nice if I did because I could talk to my mom about it. Well, and he and his dad. It's a big uh, connection for he and his dad, mm-hmm. too. They'll send emails back and forth. Or t- Dave, of course, was is on uh, seeing YouTube and things, and he'll find snippets of fun things and send them on. So, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Have, so you, ever you, been to have-, a, have you ever been to a Trek convention? No. <laughs> <laughs> would you go? No, I think so. Uh, the closest we got was the uh, oh, Star Trek uh, in Vegas. 
Ah. Uh. We did that a couple times. Um, but no, we've never been. I don't know if they have, have them in Denver. They probably do. We may have to send the Gonzaleses as a unit to a convention. <laughs> oh, for the show. oh, we have to dress up and everything. <laughs> that would be a special episode. <laughs> a very okay. special episode. Okay, cool. So when you guys are in touch now, like either when Dave comes home to visit or you are, um, you know, you're sending emails back and forth, it sounds like kind of pop culture is a really like a way that you guys communicate with each other. Like, you know, you email each other clips or you go to the movies when he comes home and stuff like that. Yeah. Usually I pick him up from the airport and know that we're heading for a movie. And um, <laughs> wow. and that's great. But also I've got this thing about music. I don't want to get old in my music. So he's very helpful in keeping me up to date on that. So um what, yeah, but, but has he what has he gotten you into music wise? Oh, like Beats Antique or Infected Mushroom or you know the things that are maybe more. I'm not a real bop kind of person. More hardcore. Where you go to Metallica concerts and stuff when he was younger. So oh, wow. it's uh, I don't know. I, I love the kids. They've got energy and I don't know. I just, are there uh, are there movies that you've seen recently that do? that for you in the same way that kind of keep things fresh and, and keep you going back to the same imagination uh, uh, the, or that way of thinking that you had earlier in your life? Um, the award shows help me a lot. They introduce hmm. me to uh, movies that maybe I'd want to see. Um, you guys help a lot. Um, <laughs> no, you do. Seriously. And you did one uh, special on the music you're into. I thought that was fabulous. That was last summer, I think. Um, that helped me find new things so um but yeah like i say i think i'll go into these action flicks and i pay five dollars to get in i bring my own water and i'm the only one in the theater so how do they make money on that you know they don't I, sometimes I just, oh. <laughs> are so, you okay with like with a lot of more things being seen in video on demand do you think you'll lose the uh the magic of seeing these movies in the theater if you're watching them at home more well dave gave us a roku box and then a um prescription to netflix uh streaming and we can't find a lot of the movies we want to see on the streaming mm-hmm. i think it's mainly tv I, I don't know yeah so we haven't used it much we don't do the mail-in anymore so um so you will be watching a bunch of stuff at home just like everybody else i guess so but also david was so excited you david nope. um about the blu-ray you yeah. know and we've talked to a lot of people and they say eh, eh no big deal so our anniversary last year we got ourselves a blu-ray and you know watching okay say um the batman movies of course and then um die hard movies you know Mm -hmm. all those fun brainless action that are really fun on blu-ray so they they look great right so it's uh and i just saw uh pie the life of pie Mm -hmm. and i'm thinking that's the best since avatar for 3d you know, uh, and, but then bringing it home, it's just not the same thing. So when you say, would I stay at home? Mm, no, I think the theater is exciting. It's large. They can, the sound can boom your seats. And yeah, I, I mean, the- I think like the, the emphasis of the conversation is always about what's winning. Like, you know, what's, what's going to endure and, and beat out all these other sorts of ways. We're going to see movies at home or in the theater. But I think that, you know, when you talk to someone like yourself, you see that it's actually getting better in every respect at the same time. And so, like, the theatrical experience is getting better in that sense. And watching movies at home because of Blu-ray is getting better. And so, really, you know, if you're divorced from this whole war of the the industry, uh, as a consumer, things are just sort of great. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yep. 
Um, Liz, <laughs> uh, Liz, to start uh, wrapping up the conversation for, you know, we, we wanted to uh, talk to each other's family members for, so we could learn more about each other. But I think our listeners can sometimes like hear us as disembodied voices and wonder about us. So for anyone who listened to the show and, you know, hears Dave and just like, what is with that guy? I don't understand him. Do you, do you have uh, words of wisdom for people who want to figure Dave out, especially his uh, pop culture opinions? Uh, I think he's a, a real free spirit and I think he's open He's open. I don't think he uh, gets his walls up and mindset um, for new ideas and new things. That's how I see him. Um, yeah, he'll we do can anything. Agree with that. Yeah, mm. he doesn't have a lot of. He doesn't limit himself a whole lot. He's, he's got, if it's in there, it comes out. It's, uh, uh, do you guys have anything else you want to ask before we wrap up? I think we're good. Yeah, this is great. All right, Liz. Thank you so much for joining us oh, and for all I'm of your amazing so insight. Fired. I love you guys. Thanks. Okay. It was so great to talk to you. You too. So now, now we're moving on to David Ehrlich's uh, family men- member in quotes, I guess. No, I'm, we're here with uh, Noam, uh, who is brother brother in law to brother in law to David, the lucky man who gets to be David's brother in law. Um, so, so. Tell us, because you have a, a strong background in film, um, not unlike David. So can you tell us a little about yourself and how you got into film and, and how you became part of the Ehrlich family by, uh, by accident, by per- on okay. purpose, I mean? Two, two distinct stories. I wish that I'd met my wife in a movie theater, but that's just not <laughs> the case. The, uh, my, my background in film is really as an art historian. So I teach now at Columbia Work primarily on early 20th century art and media, which means a lot of photography and film, but also right on more recent avant-garde films, so 60s to the present. Um, the, and I'm happy to elaborate on that at great length if you, if you wish. I, I would be curious how you became interested in that, how you ended up gravitating towards that in the first place. Well, I began with art, and hmm. the primary interest came through art historical channels, uh, I was looking at the historical avant-garde, some of the movements we're most familiar with in the 20th century, Cubism, Dada, Surrealism, Constructivism, and discovered that although great deals had been written on the paintings, and to a certain degree sculpture and architecture, photography and film, which seemed to be the dominant media of the 20th century, were largely marginal. So part of my larger project is to rethink all of 20th century art in relationship to media above all cinema my brain is already melting so. well it's, it's interesting because the uh, you know when there's film studies they tend to focus so much on hollywood in in america and you know this dominant pop art form and ignore the avant-garde stuff and it sounds like it's the opposite in the art world where it's all about the art and then the ignorance of the um avant-garde is out there so it's like it's ignored in two different sides of the uh, venn diagram yeah right now there's a venn diagram with like barely a sliver of overlap and that tiny little sliver <laughs> is avant-garde film. The, um, the neglect, though, is slowly being remedied, and mm. we're seeing much more film or film-related work in contemporary art and exhibitions. And as is often the case, the artists here are leading the charge, and art historians are following up behind them, recognizing that if this century, that is the 20th century, is going to make much sense from a contemporary perspective, we're going to have to reintroduce film and photography and other media into the equation. 
That's fantastic. Do most of your students come with a, a strong knowledge in what you're about to discuss, or are you kind of bestowing a lot? Are you, is this a revelatory subject matter that you're uh, bestowing upon these people, these it young varies, people? It varies widely. and I, I get you know, mostly art historians, but hmm. also students from the – we have a master's program in film studies, and I get a number of those students. I teach courses like art, media, and the avant-garde, so I think I fool some journalism students to thinking there might be something for them, <laughs> even though I, I insist that there's actually nothing about the media. Um, <laughs> in my course, they somehow stick around. So it's a diverse group, and for a good number of them, they're seeing and hearing and watching and reading things for the very first time. And other works are absolute classics, like Chien Andalou, The Andalusian Dog, uh, by Bunuel is, and Dali, is canonical in almost every version of film history. So, I, I watched that in my film history So class. glad I've seen that film, yes. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> and on some level, that slit of the eye, more than any other single you know, montage sequence in the history of film, defines one trajectory of what film could do. And I think remains viscerally powerful to the present you know when you i hear you talk about this i i my mind goes to david because what david does for us and i think the people who listen to this podcast is blindside them with recommendations and this vast knowledge and the things that we should be looking out for and the things that we need to catch up on sometimes um the ehrlich family as a whole is as an outsider to it on your in your opinion i mean how are they so tapped into it Uh, it seems lucky that you landed in this family uh that you met these people (laughs) it's lucky i'll say i'll say this this is a I guess confidential probably is not the right word for a podcast. But <laughs> on, on my very first date with David's sister, I invited her at the end to a Stan Brackage screening at Anthology Film Archives. Oh, wow. Challenge accepted. That, that's a, a litmus test right what there. What Stan Brackage film? Or yeah, it was what, it a collection of, of films? Right. I'm sorry? Um, Text of Light, ah. which is an amazing film that consists overwhelmingly of him shooting into an ashtray. Light reflected off of a glass ashtray for about, I think, 45 minutes or so, which really is mesmerizing. And, you know, you got to get into it. And anthology is the right place for it. But given that it was Super Bowl Sunday, she had other plans and <laughs> reconvened some future, um, perhaps uh, more, less abstract date. In any event, <laughs> the, uh, the film connection is not entirely arbitrary. Uh, and as David can inform you probably better than I, his grandfather came over, was in Poland in, in the uh, late 30s. And as David would say, you know, Poland in the late 30s was a bad place to be a Jew. So in 39, uh, came over, I think, as part of the Polish infantry for the World Fair in New York and defected and eventually made his way into cinemas as an usher because he spoke no English and it was the only job he could find fell in love with the movies, worked his way up, and founded his own cinema chain. He collaborated with Jerry Lewis um, to found a cinema chain, which included cinemas all over New York. Uh, the one on, there was one on B and 3rd Street in the East Village, I know because I lived on that block for a few years. Is that now a Two Boots? Uh, it might a pizzeria and a theater oh. in the back? I think that's the theater there. It's the theater. That's the working uh, yeah. exhibition. Awesome. Uh, so... 
so that that way, and he he stayed in the business for his whole life. Uh, David's brother, uh, no, David's uncle, eventually uh, took over the business, and only recently uh, left. They moved down to Florida, continued the business. Only recently gave it up. So my guess is David went to the movies as a family outing, as in really you know, the family business from a very young age. Uh, it's not quite his mother's milk, but it may be. His. <laughs> now, what's interesting about David is that he he's a very opinionated guy. He's always come to the table with something. And I'm wondering, from your point of view, you know, you, you teach kids and you kind of give them, or I guess calling them kids is probably uh, rude, but um, you, you're, you're teaching people and um, giving them knowledge. I feel like with David or the Ehrlich family, you might be more challenged in discussion than you might normally be because you're you're talking to some people who... Uh, have knowledge bases perhaps as big as yours. Does yeah, you yeah. How, how do these movie arguments go at Thanksgiving? <laughs> First gift, because imagine coming home for Thanksgiving and getting to you know, discuss the obsc- either obscure details or sweeping new um, unfolding phenomena in the world of film that are of mutual interest with your brother-in-law. So it's a... It's a huge boon. I, I imagine he enjoys it perhaps as much as I do, but that would be quite a great deal. Um, in terms of mu- movie knowledge, David's eclipses mine. I have barely, uh, barely any working knowledge of Hollywood film, um, with the exception of classics. So know nothing about the most recent Transformers or what have you, oh, man. <laughs> which he loves, by the yeah, way. No, you and you're allowed to shame him for that if fact. You ever, if you ever see it, you guys can have some excellent arguments about it, or maybe you'll love it too. It'd be fascinating. I would, I would listen to that <laughs> podcast of you guys talking about Transformers Three. That's a brackage film, by the way, <laughs> with 150 million dollars. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting to think there was there was a great A.O. Scott review of Miami Vice, which compared uh, the use of video to Stan Brackage. And I was so compelled. I found the review so compelling that I went out and saw it and really spent two hours trying to kill myself. (laughs) (laughs) I guess for the best. But um, in any event, I think Stan Brackage and $150 million are words that should just never be uttered. uttered (laughs) That's probably fair. There are Uh, no live births in Transformers (laughs) Dark of the Moon. Does seem encyclopedic. The one perhaps slight gap is in the extreme avant-garde end of the spectrum. So not the art house cinema, but the kind of things that you'd only see at anthology or millennium hmm. um, galleries and, and museums. And you know, I pushed him, made sure that he saw um, the, an incredible uh, Christian Markley piece called "The Clock," the oh, twenty yeah. film, um, which he loved. And occasionally I'll push him to see something a little bit outside his comfort zone and that small space outside of his knowledge zone. I I think what um, in this podcast that we do every week, I think what David does really effectively is argue for why people who might only mainly be interested in mainstream Hollywood stuff should reach out to a Kurosami movie or something like that. He, you know, he argues about it with passion. And you, you've talked about why the art world should pay attention to these avant-garde films, but do you think that people who go to the multiplex every week but might not know about Stan Brackage, do you think that if they jumped into that without necessarily knowing anything about the art world, do you think there's something for that in for them in that and just seeing what film can be that's absolutely nothing like anything else? On any number of levels, and Part of what's great is Hollywood offers up a tiny handful of ways to see movies, but it's really a very small handful. And I think avant-garde film, though, the production is much smaller in terms of volume. 
the divergent paths are, are much greater. And it opens up cinematic experiences very different than anything you're going to get at the Cineplex, but also very different from perhaps a prior avant-garde film experience. In that respect, uh, filmmakers like... Uh, let's, let's just say Christian Marquay for a moment. That 24-hour film called The Clock, I think, was a huge eye-opener. I'm hoping that it's a gateway drug for... Uh, yeah, that's a hit, if you will. Yeah, it really is. People can't stop talking about it. Hit, and I, I think there are a great... No- so not every single avant-garde uh, film can possibly be a hit, doesn't aspire to be a hit. For my own personal favorites, works like Bruce Connor, a movie, which is a short... Have you, saw, have you seen it in film class, perhaps? I have, I've seen it in film, yeah. I'm aware yeah. of the name Bruce Connor, but I don't think I've seen that. <laughs> I've seen it on a list. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, classic, it's, it's short, right? Man Ray once said about his own film, it has one advantage over all other films. It's short. Mm-hmm. So these films are short. Some of them are extremely long, but a good number are short, which lend themselves to film classes. And Bruce Connor is one of the first to really introduce found footage films. So what is now, it's not even a YouTube genre. It's a like, fundamental operation of YouTube. The found footage film or video was inaugurated by people like Bruce Conner in the 50s going through the garbage of BBC or you know, equivalent news channels um, that would shoot on 16 millimeter and then just scar the film once the TV program aired. They would go through that garbage, uh, that refuse, and compile films out of the found footage to create devastating, effective, uh, nightmarish, beautiful reflections on contemporary society, the possibility of uh, the medium, artistic expression, what you name it. And that kind of work is still taking place. Interestingly, I think that YouTube has made it accessible in ways that no cinematheque or cine club or museum um, could possibly make uh, could have possibly made available in the past. So it used to be I, even a few years ago I could show films to students that they couldn't otherwise possibly get. And today, almost everything is on YouTube. But between YouTube and Netflix and what have you, there's no excuse I think just to watch the five crappy films that happen to be <laughs> cineplex. Find the art. You know, it's funny that you uh, the way you describe these films. Uh, is eerily reminiscent of how David describes the third Transformers movie. So I, I almost <laughs> insist that at some point you see that film because, man, he loves talking about that movie. I, I have a question for you, Noam. You know, we we talked about you guys sitting around the Thanksgiving dinner table talking talking about movies and getting to challenge each other and sparring about, about film. Do you guys watch movies when you all get together uh, for family functions? I mean, what kind of films are you sitting around watching? Almost never. <laughs> you can probably guess it. It's because I never, ever have the opportunity to see a film until months after David has seen it. Mm. <laughs> and given his time constraints, he refuses to go back. Um, but, uh, yeah, the truth is we speak about film endlessly and see films together almost never because he sees everything and he does it in the festivals and the press screenings and the what have you long before uh, a commoner like myself has access to them. Um, we have to start bringing you to press screenings. You can come yeah. see a, a, a good day to die hard with us next week. I, I think next week is a busy one for me. <laughs> Fair enough. John McClane will miss you. Um, I guess we'll – oh, I'm sorry. Back to Transformers 3, this <laughs> one of uh, 
David's unbelievable strengths and why he probably has better taste in film than anyone I know, myself easily included in among the hoi polloi. David appreciates Transformers 3. He appreciates Stan Brackage. He appreciates Bruce Connor or Christian Marclay. David knows more about film but also can appreciate a wider range of film than almost any other person I've ever met. And I think the appreciation for Transformers 3 is not some type of just slumming it with Hollywood. He actually is able to identify what might make that film or The Avengers far superior to Robocop or I don't... How does one brain do that? It sounds like you are challenged by just the amount of art film that you consume and and have seen over time and are trying to put out back into the world and and spread the word on and and challenge others. I'm always amazed that David can shake this all up in his brain and somehow spew it back to us and and challenge himself. I don't know whether it's nature or nurture at this point, but... (laughs) coincidence that michael phelps has an incredibly long torso and short legs like just freak proportions that quote-unquote happen to be perfect for a swimmer like i I don't know whether david was simply hardwired this way at birth and naturally then found film for which he was preternaturally gifted or he's trained himself by some magical formula in either case um I guess we all know the result. And we all benefit. I assume that there are baby pictures of David somewhere holding Criterion (laughs) laser discs, actually, it would be. uh, Criterion film reels. (laughs) Exactly. That's the secret. Start early. Uh, Well, Noam, I think we're going to wrap up. Thank you so much for uh, joining us and uh, and giving us insight into the mind, the scary mind of David Ehrlich. We appreciate it. (laughs) My pleasure. And that was it. That was the first 100 episodes of Operation Kino. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find the podcast at opkino.com or on iTunes where you can subscribe and leave us a review, why don't you? You can also give us a call and leave a voicemail at 914-410-6450. You can find David Ehrlich at film.com and on Twitter at David Ehrlich. Matt Patches at Hollywood.com and on Twitter at Mr. Patches. Myself at DA7E.com and on Twitter at DA7E. And Katie Rich here on Cinema Blend and on Twitter at Katie Rich. K E T Y R I C H. Thought you'd learn how to spell it in the first 100 episodes, but you know, we're growing. We're growing, we're learning together. And uh, on that note, uh, check us out in Operation Kino episode 101, which is dropping on Tuesday? 